Mark chapter 2. We find the Lord will respond to anyone um, to be saved, even the tax collector. Jesus saves IRS guys <laughs> and the rest of us. Uh, we're in verse 13 of Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, we also we try to keep them underneath the seats in front of you if you need one. But uh, verse 13 through 22. And we're told that then he went again, went out again by the sea. And all the multitude came to him and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. And now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came to him, or came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, uh, they cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away uh, from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then he gives a parab uh, two parables, actually, <clears throat> in verses 21 and 22. Uh, he says, For <clears throat> no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the terror is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. And the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. And, but the new wine must be put into new wineskins. And with that, let's join our hearts in prayer. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, as we see you at work in this gospel story. And it reminds us, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, uh, you're working today in hearts and lives. Lord, you're wanting to free people from the traps, Lord, of tradition. And all the other things, Lord, that can just encroach and just become a part, Lord, of the way we think and the way we live. And we thank you that, Lord, in you is freedom. Lord, we were singing that, uh, Lord, just a moment ago. And we thank you for the new life that we have. And Father, I thank you for those that are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that your word would become life to us. Lord, give us, we pray, open hearts, a receptivity. Lord, you know our needs this morning. You understand, Lord, perfectly, Lord, where we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. And Lord, you want to be involved, Lord, in our lives. Perhaps, Lord, even to a deeper degree. And so we pray this morning, Lord that you would speak life and speak it more abundantly. 
Lord, give us ears to hear and open a heart to receive. And we pray that in it all, Lord, and most of all, that you would be wonderfully glorified. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Our title here is actually taken from uh, the book of Isaiah, when the Lord said, Behold, I will do a new thing. And he was really speaking and addressing the ministry of Jesus Christ and what it would do. That when the Lord works within our lives, what he always wants to do. And, you know, sometimes we tend to think, well, you know, when I first came to Christ, it was a wonderful change. You know, what a transition, you know, uh, to experience, you know, the Holy Spirit coming into my life, freeing me from my past. But the fact of the matter is, that's a wonderful thing to have. But we also understand that the Lord wants to do a continual new thing in our lives. But you know what? It's predicated upon us. Do we want it? You know, I've always said this, we are right where we want to be in Christ, amen? Uh, we, you know, we can't blame it on circumstances and situations. You know, where we are in Him, in our relationship with Him, uh, we've made those decisions that have brought us to that point. So it's very important, you know, we talk about this whole thing of obedience, which is simply this, it's cooperation. It's cooperation with the Spirit of God as He is directing us and guiding us. And, and we see here as Jesus comes in to the context of this situation, Uh, that he speaks here to a man uh, who is no doubt well entrenched in his career, and yet he says, interestingly, I want you to follow me. Now put yourself in that circumstance, in that situation. How would you respond? I think a lot of times when the Lord uh, is prompting and working within our lives, um, that it can be oftentimes a protracted, you know, uh, process. And... um, but, you know, do we respond like we see here in our story with Matthew? And we saw that actually last week with James and John and Peter and Andrew. Uh, we saw them. And remember, the watchword uh, in this whole gospel of Mark is immediately. In other words, this immediate response, you know, to the directive of God and to God, you know, just speaking, you know, into our life and into our situation. You know, we tend to examine things in all kinds of ways and and oftentimes when it comes to you know, our approach to God and, and following, the, following Him, <clears throat> oftentimes it's oftentimes a very protracted, uh, long, drawn-out process. <clears throat> but I think sometimes we just need to take that step of faith. There's times where we just need to obey the Lord um, and, you know, come what may. You know, somehow, you know, it's amazing, too. Human nature can risk on and so many crazy things. I don't know if you're that kind of person a gambler kind of person where you have maybe that kind of thing where you've made a, a, a series of risks in your life. And sometimes, you know, when it comes, you know, to obeying the Lord, yes, there is a degree of risk in, in a sense. But yet if God is prompting us and God is directing us, uh, that wonderfully, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, it's going to pay off. Let's put it that way. You know, God rewards those who, who diligently seek him uh, and want to walk with him and want to follow him. <laughs> You know, the greatest privilege in life um, is not to be born in wealth. Uh, It's not to have all the great advantages, you know, that our our culture provides. And some of those advantages are wonderful things. It's not even really being the smartest guy in the room. Uh, There's a lot of premium put on that, you know. You know, sometimes when you get a bunch of guys together, you know, there's this touching back and forth, you know, who's the smartest guy in the room, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and all that does, in a sense, is really just somebody bolster somebody's pride. But, you know, the greatest thing, you know, is really to hear the call of Jesus and to follow it. 
And that may, that may be a little bit different path from each one of us. But again, to hear the Lord speaking into our life, to speaking into our particular you know, circumstance and situation, to follow that. And you know, it's not always easy, is it, following the Lord? Because there's a certain amount of uncertainty. One thing I've discovered when it comes to following the Lord, and again, it isn't just that initial thing, but as you sort of, you know, as you, as you move through life, you know, following him and, and hearing him uh, and not knowing as he encourages us to maybe take a step of faith or to follow him in a certain kind of way, what the outcome is going to be. Because a lot of times, you know, we predicate, you know, that outcome about, you know, uh, where we're going to go and how we're going to follow the Lord if we know a lot of stuff up front. But the fact of the matter is we find it so often the Lord hides that stuff from us because why? He wants us to trust him. He wants us basically to put our faith, you know, in his promise and in his word. And that's not an easy thing. Uh, we find the disciples at one point, and I think sometimes, uh, so, you know, we find ourselves, you know, saying the same prayers, increase our faith. But when he, when he increases our faith, it will oftentimes come through the challenge of some particular circumstance where we can't figure it out, you know, we can't see, you know, what the future holds. But I'll tell you what, if the Lord is prompting us, if he's leading us, uh, there'll be a good result. There'll be blessing that'll come, you know, as a result of that. You know, you've heard it said that you can know a lot by a person by the company he keeps. Uh, I can remember my grandmother. She didn't know the Bible, and she wasn't a believer, but she would quote a scripture. And I didn't know that later until I became a Christian and read the Bible. And she used to say to me this, bad company corrupts good morals, okay? Uh, I don't know if it's exactly like that in all the newer translations, but in the King James um, that's the way it comes out. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that is true. But it's not true when it comes to Jesus. Uh, we see that when Jesus, you know, sometimes when we maybe put ourselves in bad company, uh, you know, we can get uh, impacted by that, affected by that, influenced by that in some, you know, to some degree. But Jesus, when he comes into a situation, he's going to influence, he's going to make the difference. And of course, here, as we look at these, uh, these Pharisees, they had no idea of who they were dealing with because uh, we find Jesus is the friend of sinners. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you grateful that he is the friend, you know, of those? You know, when you look at the grace of God um, and, and how he reaches out into so many, you know, different situations, um, you know, uh, places in a sense where maybe God's people won't go. I've often thought about all the people that want to immigrate to America. You know, there's a whole political side to that, and, and, and I'm not even addressing that. I don't want to talk about that. But, you know, it's interesting when you look at these people, that what they, all they want is they want what we have. They want, uh, you know, they want a home. They want a, a steady income. Uh, they want a you know, safe place for their family. They want all those things. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, this, and, it, and for a long time now, that uh, I believe because maybe uh, we are afraid to maybe put ourselves in a situation that's not convenient or not comfortable to us, God's bringing the world to us. God is bringing the world, you know, to America, um, and uh, he wants to reach into their lives. Um, you know, there was one, at one point in the church, it was called the Great Missionary Age. It was like the 1700s, you know, up to like 1900, when the church was just going everywhere. Uh, God was just taking his people and scattering them in all kinds of different corners. So when you find, your, you, when you find the Lord prompting you, leading you um, to reach out beyond your comfort zone, be, beyond the things that are just convenient in your life, that means he's got a blessing in store for you. And, and as he prompts you, you need, to, you need to cooperate with that. You need to allow that to take place. 
Now we find here <clears throat> in the midst of the Lord working, you know, we find here <clears throat> an interesting situation because we, as we saw last week, there were the religionists. You know, there were those who were right in the midst when, when, when God was working and not only was he ministering in a special way, he was trying to minister, trying to free them up. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, as God's people, religious groups oftentimes get, get sometimes trapped, you know, in their tradition. And it's important. I think Jesus is always current. Jesus is always moving forward. And it's important that we stay connected with him because sometimes we can just sort of get trapped, you know, maybe in, you know, a certain kind of religious mindset are in our tradition. And those kind of people are right here in the midst as Jesus is hoping to set them free and to minister to them as well as he is ministering to Levi and all his friends. Uh, and, and again, the priority for Jesus is teaching. Uh, we know he did miracles that authenticated what he said. He did miracles when they needed to come, but his priority was always teaching the Bible. Why is that? Because the truth will set people free. And so he would always, you know, first and foremost, he was always, always be giving, you know, wherever you find Jesus, he would be teaching. And so we find that here in verse 13. Um, and then we're told he passes by in verse 14, and, and he sees this guy. His Jewish name is Levi. We know him as Matthew because this is the guy who wrote uh, the book of Matthew a, at, a, at a later date. And, and we're told that he was sitting at his, in his tax office uh, and Jesus said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now, basically, this guy works for the Roman government, okay? He's an IRS employee. Uh, and there's something that, you know, ever, ever you mention those initials, that acronym, uh, you know, fear and trepidation comes over you. Did you ever get a letter from the IRS? It's like, oh, no, what, you know, what do they want? I remember one time they came after me, and they wanted $2,200, and that was like back in the 1980s when uh, that was a whole lot of money, so I had to basically, um, I had to pay them, you know, payments over the course of, I think, I think it took me two years to pay them off. Uh, but here is Matthew, and, and this, you know, this guy, uh, many, of the, many of the tax collectors were, you know, extortionists. Uh, they would take advantage of people. Uh, they could walk up to you. These were hated people. These were just absolutely hated because they seemed, you know, they were collaborators with the Roman government, the occupation government, you know, kind of thing. So everybody hated these guys. They had such incredible power. They could walk up to you on the road, tell you to unpack your, your wagon or your backpack, whatever the case you'd be, could, could, would be, and they would just inspect everything in there, and they could tax you according to that. They had such incredible power. But don't you love Jesus? He comes along. And he calls people from every segment of society. Uh, here is this, you know, he's going he's gonna to call him. He's, he's a tax collector. He's hated. No doubt uh, there was a resentment uh, within the common man, and that would also be represented within these other disciples, uh, these other, you know, apostles uh, that would be called, you know, to be, to, to, you know, to minister together. But it's interesting, when Jesus comes into the equation of a situation, he changes hearts. He changes life. He changes the outlook, the perspective, the view. Uh, it doesn't matter, in a sense, the way we were. When he comes into the equation of your life, he sets us free from the past. He sets us free from our bigotry, from our prejudices, from our attitudes, from our dispositions, all those things that once dominated and controlled us, just like we see that out there in our culture and out there in our particular society. Because when he comes in, he changes that. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a new person there. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things uh, become new. Now, when we see here, Jesus is saying to Matthew, follow me. He arises immediately and follows Jesus. Doesn't that seem irrational? You know, these guys, this guy had power. He had tremendous power, uh, probably had a very bad reputation. But as far as working for the Roman government, man, he had a very secure future. So it would seem to us, any time, you know, how long did it take you to come to Christ? Or, or maybe when the Lord prompts you um, in a certain way, how long does it take for you to, to surrender to that, to, to believe him and, and just cooperate with him? Sometimes it takes us a very long time, doesn't it? You know, sometimes God has to get his crowbar out, right? And sort of wrench us, you know, out of our, you know, out of our circumstance, out of our situation to kind of, you know, get us moving. Uh, you know, I, I think of Jacob. I interestingly, when he's in Padamaram, you know, God blessed him there and he became a rich man and uh, had a great big family and all that. And it was interesting what the negative circumstances that took place, you know, in Jacob's life to get him back to where he belonged. And remember, it said that his father-in-law began to look at him in a very different way. And so sometimes God can use the circumstances, you know, to get us where we need to be, where he needs us to be, uh, if, he, if we don't maybe perhaps maybe respond in the way that uh, we should maybe initially when he puts that, that prompting within our lives. And so, again, just getting up and following Christ. And, and again, the watchword, immediately. Uh, and, and there are times that we need to pray. Yes, there are times that we need to pray. We don't, God doesn't want us to be impulsive. But, you know, when we're sure that God is, is, is directed us and guide us, guiding us, we need to respond to that. And, and again, when we look at these kind of things, there's people just, you know, the, the fishermen last week, they, they came, the Peter, you know, Peter and Andrew, John and James, they grew up in the fishing industry. The business was theirs. And all of a sudden, just to walk away from all that, I'll tell you what, that takes a miracle of God, doesn't it? That takes the grace of God to respond in that kind of a way uh, where everybody else says, you know, you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, people say that, you know, when you want to take a step of faith for Jesus. Hey, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? And, uh, and, and yes, in a cultural kind of way, we are. We're a little bit nuts. Uh, because somebody can't understand that, you know, when the Spirit of the living God is speaking, you know, into your heart, you know, into that, you know, your innermost being, into your core being, and nobody else is understanding it, nobody else is hearing it, because they're not getting it, you're getting it. And that's why it's important, as that's happening, that we need to respond to that, uh, knowing that indeed He has spoken, even though there's, you know, and again, the life of faith is full of uncertainties, isn't it? It's full of uncertainties. I remember, you know, God called me out of a dental lab, and um, my first step was to was to go into the ministry for twenty hours, and to work for twenty hours as a dental technician, and and I had I had four children at the time, uh, I had a I had a house, I had a mortgage, um, that was in the days when a mortgage was three hundred dollars. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Yeah, that, that's that's the taxes anymore. But anyway. Um, and we had a car payment. We had all these things, and it just didn't add up financially. But I knew that I knew that I knew that God had called me to do that. And you know what? He worked it out. 
you know, sometimes you look at the pie and it's only got so many pieces, right? Only so many slices. And, and yet, uh, um, and I've said this before, there are many times where I would put a, 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 I would put a check in the, in the offering on Sunday and I would pray. I would pray there'd be enough money in the bank when that thing got cashed. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord never let us down. God is wonderfully faithful, but yet he will stretch us. He will stretch us, but when we trust him, he is going to come through because he loves us to walk by faith. He loves us to, you know, because faith is simply this. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to launch out, you know, into the deep, and I'm going I'm to just, you know, commit myself in this circumstance and situation to you, and come what may, Lord, uh, we are in your hands. And so this guy here, uh, he had heard that authoritative voice of the Lord in his innermost soul, uh, speaking to his life, and 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 look at here, verse fifteen. Where where open you know that quickly open house because of an open heart. He's bringing all his, he's invited all his friends over. He wants to introduce them to Jesus. See, that's what happens when you get a changed life. You just want to man. You just want you just want to tell people about him. Can you remember when you first got saved? The joy, the exuberance. How many people did you offend when you first got saved? Margie and I offended. We, you know, we couldn't wait to go back to Philadelphia, you know, where we grew up, and, uh, and tell our families about Jesus. And again, we came from very you know, long line of Catholic families. Uh, her, I was from a backsliding Catholic family, okay? That, that means a non-participating Catholic family. She came from a very staunch religious family. They'd go to Mass all the time. And um, yeah, as a matter of fact, one of, their friends who, one of their friends who married us was the Archbishop of Baltimore. And so we go back and we tell them, you know, that Jesus came into our life and now we're saved. I'll tell you what, we offended them right down to their toes. And, you know, I, my, my mother, her mother, my grandmother, was born in Ireland. So if any of you know anything about Irish Catholics, uh, they, they, you know, they, they will die. They will die for their, for their Catholic faith. That's, and... Uh, and uh, when we witnessed to my mom, my grandmother had already passed away. Uh, she said, you know, your, if your grandmother heard this, she'd roll over in her grave kind of a thing. And all we were doing was just sharing the love of Jesus. We were just sharing what the Lord had done, you know, within our life. But, you know, isn't it so difficult for those who haven't received Christ yet? You know, they're kind of looking at you with this, this forlorn, you know, kind of look. Oh, boy, they've gone over the edge now. You know, they've, they've, they're, they're, they get, they're in their Jesus phase, you know, type of thing. And praise God that Jesus phase will never end. It's a wonderful thing to know the true and the living God. And, and here, that's what Levi simply wants to do because the Lord has changed him. And the thing is, too, here's the, here's the thing. As the Lord has come into your life, he's changed you. He wants that to be a catalyst to change other people. My, my grandson... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just so excited uh, for what the Lord, he, he was, 10th birthday was like three weeks ago, and, and he came to Christ. He legitimately came to Christ, and, uh, and it's like he's, the Lord's just popping out of him, and it's like I'm, I'm so unaccustomed to seeing a 10-year-old kid, you know, where the Lord's really got a hold of his heart, and, uh, and we, we, we go to his house the other day, and what he wants to, he wants to take us in, and he's already got a pile of Bibles. And he was in the car. Uh, we were going somewhere, and he stayed over a couple nights with us. And, and, uh, and so Margie is saying to Aaron, Aaron, uh, what do you want to do with your life? 
He says, well, you know, I want to be a scuba diver, but I want to be a preacher too. <laughs> Music to my ears. And, uh, but the thing is too, and the other thing was, was really a blessing that, that uh, he's gotten to be the, the, the speaker um, in his public school uh, for, what do, what do you call that? Uh, when they, like assembly, when the assembly gets together type of thing. I don't know what they call it today. Uh, but he's going to be the guy who reads things. And so uh, I'm just waiting to hear that there's going to be one time Jesus is going to pop out of there and uh, he'll probably offend somebody in public school, whatever the case may be. But, you know, so be it. Um, but the thing is here, your life can become a catalyst because here's Levi, he's newfound. But look what it says at the end of verse 15. There were many there, tax collectors and sinners, and they followed Jesus. You can't force anybody into Christ, and we're not supposed to. That's, that's why you don't want to browbeat anybody and, you know, just don't be a pest. Uh, just shine. Shine for Jesus. Because you know, people will get a taste of that. You know, the Bible says, taste and see if the Lord is good. I, I think we, we taste that in a sense, you know, um, you know, with our cognition and our emotions and all that when we're around people like that and we sense the joy. And there's something about, there's an effervescent joy, you know, that, 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 that we can have in Christ that has an infectious way, you know, of touching the lives of other people when we're around them. And again, it may not even be intentional. And that's why, in a sense, we need to, you know, that's why Jesus said, don't, don't hide the light. Don't hide the light. Don't, don't. Don't put it under a bushel basket. In other words, don't let, your, don't let your career, the bushel basket, don't let that hide your light in Christ. Don't put it under the bed. In other words, don't let your, your domestic duties hide the candle, the light that God has placed within your life. And that's happening here right away we see in the life of Levi and Matthew. And, you know, I said this last week, too, and it's so true, that whenever the Lord is working, the devil's not far behind. You need to remember that. Because whenever the Lord, the Lord is working in a situation you're involved in or in your life, you can be sure the devil's watching. And he's not far behind because here in the midst of the whole thing, God is working. People are getting man set free. They're getting saved. There's a joy. You know, Jesus is wonderfully working. And here are the scribes and Pharisees criticizing as I referred to them last week, they're the sin sniffers. They're the critics. They're the, those that are always fault-finding. These are the guys, the religious guys. These are the guys that actually had the Bible. And they're the ones that really put Jesus, not all of them, but the consensus was they basically put our Lord, our Savior, on a cross. And so here they are. We find them in verse 16. And, and as they came by, here's Jesus in the midst of the scribes, the Pharisees. And there's probably, there's probably some laughter going on. And there's probably some drinking going on. Because they even called Jesus a wine-bibber. And they're, and they're looking at this and they're thinking, well, the, there he is in the midst of that booze party. What do you think of that? How sacrilegious can you be? They don't know who they're talking about. He was not there to embellish himself in that kind of way. He was there to make a difference. He was there to save them. You know, God sometimes may call.
call us to be in a situation where we don't feel comfortable. Where he wants to maybe put us in a situation where we become the light. Remember, we're his body on earth. And, and what are you going to do if he prompts you to take you out of your comfort zone, to reach out to some lost souls? There's a certain amount of risk there, isn't there? And, and when that happens to me, just like it happens to you, 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 can, you can wrestle with that. You can struggle with that. You know, the thing about love is, you know, it's vulnerable. To love in the way that Jesus Christ loves, there's a certain risk in that. But I think the benefit far outweighs the risk of loving people the way Jesus loved them. But in order to do that, sometimes you've got to put yourself, you've got to take yourself out of your comfort zone. Be careful that you don't become a Christian, that you, want, you don't want to do anything for Jesus that's inconvenient. Be, be careful of that. You see, he calls us to follow him in many different situations. And there may be somebody in a situation that maybe me or you would not find ourselves comfortable, but there's somebody in there that he wants to reach with the gospel. And by you maybe even responding and doing that, you might find, you might get criticism from the more sanctimonious folk. Now, I don't think we should ever put ourselves in a situation if, if our nature is so vulnerable and so weak and we could find ourselves easily tempted. I don't think that's wisdom. But I think that you know, when God gets us to a certain degree of, of maturity in our spiritual life, that he may call us to take a step of faith and to obey him and to reach out, to, to go to a place. I, I remember my, my sister died at 46 years old from, from a heroin issue. But God gave her opportunity because... She died in somewhere around, I think, 2005 or six. But in 1993, I was in touch with her, and her life was an absolute mess. She had like three kids, four kids, three. No, she had four kids at the time. I think every father was different. She was living in a cardboard box down in Philadelphia. And Margie and I talked about it. We said, you know, let's, I want to go down and get her and her kids and bring her up and she can live in our house with us. It wasn't easy when you're dealing with drug addictions and that sort of thing. And I can remember, I can remember when we went down to pick her up and Stan and I, Pastor Stan and I, we borrowed somebody's van to do it. And uh, we stopped for lunch, and <laughs> I come out of the, I come out of the, the deli where we were stopping to get some sandwiches. I 
and she's in, in the back behind the van. Her and her son, and her oldest son was almost like her partner in crime because he kind of grew up like that and, um, you know, he would be her fingers and arms. He, would, he was an incredible, unfortunately, an incredible thief. And they're back behind the van, and I go back, and, hey, what do you got? And I go to the ground there, and I get a needle go right up through my hand. And this is the, this is the days when AIDS is at its, its height. <laughs> and so she was coming, but she was coming on her terms. And she came up, and they lived with us, and we loved on the kids. We tried to give them some kind of a normal lifestyle. But eventually she went back after six, seven months and unfortunately lost, you know, lost her life. And it was a risky kind of a thing. But I know God wanted us to do it, and it wasn't easy. I mean, sometimes God calls us, you know, out of our comfort zone you know, to help those that are less fortunate, those that are in a place of need. And you know what? As I look back at that, I wouldn't change it. I'd do it again. God has always been wonderfully good every time I've had one of those opportunities. Well, the thing about these Pharisees and hypocrites, uh, excuse me, uh, scribes, Hypocrites will always judge by the externals. You know, there's something in human nature. There's something, in, especially in fallen human nature, that it tends to criticize and judge other people. You know, even Paul had the issue. It, it even happened to the apostle Paul. Uh, you know, Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He said, uh, he, says to, he was saying to the Pharisees, he says, you judge according to outward appearance. But he says, you need to judge righteous judgment. Now, what is righteous judgment? It's not judging other people. <laughs> and there's a tendency. I, I think we all have it to a degree, you know, to be critical about things, to look at things, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a judgmental, you know, kind of a way. And I think we need to be so very careful about that. You know, as a matter of fact, it happened to Paul, the Corinthian church, believers, had issue with Paul. They were judging him. He knew it. And he wrote to him and he said this. He says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, Paul says here, you know, regarding that, and that's why it's important also to be careful that you don't become morbidly introspective. Sometimes believers, that happens to believers, trying to perfect themselves, Okay. That's one of the dangers of Christianity. You know, you come to Christ and he's cleaned up your life and now you think you're going to, you know, you're going to perfect yourself. And, and you become very critical of everything. And then that criticism, criticism rather begins to just sort of leach out toward other people. Well, Paul said, I don't even judge myself. Not in that kind of way. He goes on to say, I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit 
We need to leave it up to the Holy Spirit to make those corrections in the life of people. And, and I'll tell you what, as you, you might see something wrong in somebody's life. Well, God's shown you that, but pray. Don't talk about them. You know, don't be hyperly critical, you know, about that person. I wonder how many people over the year have just, you know, seen my life, some seen some inconsistency or maybe some hypocrisy. I just started praying. Over the years, many people have come up at different times and said, you know, Pastor, I was praying for you this week. And I said, you know, you, you couldn't say anything better to me. That, that's such an honor and a privilege. And I imagine how many prayers in my life and in your life as well uh, have created an intervention, an intervention where God stepped in. Um, I think when we get to heaven, there'll be the records on that. You know, the, the God's a little miracle interventions, uh, protecting us, saving us. I think of car accidents. I think of all kinds of crazy things that took place, you know, in my life, particularly as a young person, where, where, where if I could look back, there was probably an angel there. You know, a guardian angel with armor on, <laughs> you, know, you know, protecting you, protecting me. Uh, God is so wonderfully faithful. Now, Paul goes on to say this. Here, here's the point. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. In other words, the judgment day is coming. Let's judge nothing before the time because when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to bring out all the hidden things, all the issues and all the things. You know, we're, we're not Inspector Clouseau, you know, of the body of Christ. You know, some people think they are, uh, you know, always kind of sniffing around, always looking for fault, fault finding and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't see that so much, you know, today as it maybe once was you know, in the body of Christ. But, uh, you know, be careful that, be careful of critical people. Because sometimes that criticism can come out in such a way it draws you in and poisons you. And all of a sudden you find yourself developing an attitude against someone or a certain situation. And all of a sudden you're just, you know, you're, you're, you got a burr under your saddle. You're bugged. You're bugged and bothered by it. And you're not praying for that person. You're just like, yeah, there they go again. Be careful. Be careful of, of a critical spirit. It can really bring poison. And it can take you away from what God has for you, God's best. <clears throat> okay, verse 17. I think the Bible is the most misinterpreted book in all of human history. And sometimes you hear somebody take it out of context. And sometimes, too, when God speaks something that, you know, you can look at it maybe sometimes in a carnal way, a natural way. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, you can look at it in a deeper kind of way in the sense of, hey, how many times have you and I come to a Bible uh, a, a chapter or certain verses and you've read them a dozen times but this time all of a sudden there's a depth to it there's a fresh understanding of it you know God's word is so deep in that sense because it's the Holy Spirit freshly applying you know that truth to you in another situation and in a fresh and new way that's why you know it stay in your Bible stay in your Bible keep reading your Bible it's a living book and God will, there's a cleansing 
that takes place when you and I, it's a, it's a spiritual cleansing, it can be an emotional cleansing as well when you get into the Bible and you're reading it on a regular basic basis and it's washing over your soul. It's inspiring you. It's encouraging you in new, in new and fresh ways. But here in verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, to these critical guys, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I imagine when they said these words, when Jesus said these words, they took a false comfort in them. Because if you're self-righteous, it's like, oh, he can't be speaking to us. He, he's speaking to these, these dirtbags. He's speaking to these sinners. He couldn't possibly be talking to us. And they're misinterpreting because I truly believe that he is taking here an Old Testament truth. I think it's uh, Proverbs 14. There's none righteous. No, not one. He's taking that very truth. But he's cloaking it and presenting it in a little different way. And it shows us, too, that they really didn't know the Scriptures. They knew about the Scriptures. Or sometimes, too, you have to be very careful when you go to the Bible. You don't cherry-pick. <laughs> you cherry-pick certain verses, certain things that you like. And I don't go into any other books because, you know, they, they make me nervous or they make me feel uncomfortable when I go into another book. You know, kind of be careful you don't cherry-pick. We, we need a full diet. Um, Ever since I was in the Marine Corps, I hated lima beans because the, they had a, a, a can, a, a, um, a sea ration can of ham and lima beans. And it was like, you know, when we're in service and out in the field, it's like, you know, every, anybody, anybody want ham and lima beans? You know, it's like it was the most detested, you know, meal of, of all the different things. And, and just recently, I found lima beans and, and I don't think I've had them for years, and I get, oh, there they are right again. They're lima beans, you know, type of thing. But you know what? We need our spiritual lima beans. <laughs> we used to have a, we used to have a uh, uh, gal from our church, uh, minister down in Brazil, Belahazarte, I think, uh, Brazil. And she was back home one time, and uh, we, we were eating some Mexican food, and, uh, and we got talking about beans. She said, yeah, there's five different kinds of beans that we eat down there. She said, we're basically, you know, on the mission, in the mission field, we're basically on a bean diet. But there are five different types of beans um, and all the different protein that they got. And you see, the thing is, too, as, as you and I are reading through the Bible, there's going to be, you know, there's five different beans, so to speak. There's going to be all that spiritual nourishment that we need to have. So be careful that you don't just, you're, you're not too selective uh, about that. Now, this, the, this religious group here, they were fasting. And, and I have fasted a number of times. I don't fast so much anymore because, chemistry speaking, it just doesn't work so much for me as it used to. But I can remember Margie and I would fast quite a bit when we were younger Christians. Uh, and, and there's some really good benefits. I would really encourage you at different times, uh, even fasting meals. Um, you know, some people fast days. I, I knew one guy. Uh, every year he would fast a month. And I'd say, I'd say, how in the world can you ever do that? And, uh, but it has, it, it's beneficial for you. But one thing about, I, I always remember, and that's why I would fast so, uh, you know, oftentimes, is because every time we fasted regarding an issue, an answer to prayer, direction in our life, God would answer. God would speak. 
And these guys are fasting. And I think that the Lord here is wanting to speak into their life and just speak into their heart. How they do that, how that happens. I mean, how they respond to that. Um, only, only the Lord knows. But fasting can have a spiritual and a, and a, a physical benefit. But for these guys, it just degenerated into religious ritualism. And then it has no purpose. In other words, they thought they were righteous because they fasted. Or, or somebody may think they're righteous because, well, I pray a lot. And the kind of righteousness that that kind of breeds in someone's life is a self-righteousness. Because a person thinks, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really a spiritual pillar. <laughs> I must be better than other people. That's a dangerous place to be. And that's where these guys were. Because it's interesting, too, with all their fast days, the, 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 the law of Moses only required one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And these guys fasted. Remember the one guy that, who's in the temple? And Jesus uses that uh, story there, and he says, I fast twice in a week. But again, it just was from a self-righteous motive. No benefit to that. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And I think Jesus is simply saying this. He's the bridegroom. And he has come for his bride. It was a time of feasting. Not to be a time of fasting. It was a time for celebration. And he's basically saying to them, I want you to rejoice with me. I'm here. And it just really speaks also, too, of, of this relationship that God calls us into. It's like a marriage. He wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to be his bride. He wants us to find security. He wants us to, to have a, a, a sense of joy and blessing. And these religious guys, man, when they fast, they, 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 they darken their face to make them, you know, look, themselves look gaunt. And if anything, it just drove people away from a relationship with God. And here, here God was in the midst, saying it's not a time for fasting. And again, verse 20 is simply a prophecy of his rejection and his crucifixion. In these last two verses, he launches now into these parables. Um, and parable is simply this. It's using familiar uh, image, uh, basically to convey a spiritual truth. Uh, and Jesus would use these all throughout his ministry. He would use these parables uh, basically to get people thinking about some earthly, again, some earthly image um, to convey this spiritual truth that he was trying to, to make them understand. And again, you need faith. You need faith when you come to the Bible. That's why if, you're, you know, if you find that maybe you're reading the Bible and you're not getting anything out of it, just say, Lord, I need you to really speak to my heart. Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me with your words. Speak into my life. I need to hear you. And it's amazing, too, no matter where you are in the Bible, God will speak. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the new piece pulls away from the old, the tear is made worse, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the wine bursts the wineskins, 
and the wine is, wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, and the new wine must be put into new wineskins. And again, in the light of what Jesus is doing there, here is the Pharisees. Here they are locked into their dead tradition. There's no life in it. You see, when Christ comes in to a situation, he brings life, he brings power. He brings joy. He brings a wonderful change. He changes our old ways of thinking, our old ways of living. You know, the Lord would say over in Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. Now, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. But you know something, too? There's a truth that's relevant for here and for now. You know, maybe perhaps in the circumstances of your life, there's a dryness, there's a stodginess. Maybe there's inflexibility. Maybe God wants to do some things for us, but maybe we might have the wrong idea, the wrong motivation, the wrong disposition. And you know, sometimes it's interesting, you know, we can maybe look at this time here, or we can look at maybe the church in days gone by, and we can see maybe how certain traditions lock them up. But you know something? We can have our own little ways and certain kinds of traditions that just kind of bind us up. Personal traditions. I mean, we, we've come to a, a, a day in the, you know, through, in the church age where there's a whole, not a whole lot of tradition. But do I have my own personal views and attitudes that don't allow God to pour the new wine of his spirit into our lives. Ray Steadman, I want to, he's an author. He was a pastor and author. He's with the Lord now. But Ray Steadman was Chuck Swindoll's pastor. Chuck Swindoll basically um, rose up under the, the tutelage uh, and pastoring of Ray Steadman. And he says this about our passage. He says, wine, well, let's see, there's something else I want to read. I want to read two different things, if you'll allow me. He says, Jesus was the master at illustrating concepts. Uh, no one sews a patch on an untrunk cloth of an old garment, he says. In other words, when you have a joyful celebratory relationship with me, it is no time to patch up the old with the new. Fresh new relationships require new expressions. When a relationship becomes old, stale, and tiresome, the quality of that relationship deteriorates. And that's what I think happens to a lot of Christians. Their relationship with him becomes old and stale and deteriorates. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying. We, we remove ourselves from fellowship. Because something is deteriorated in that relationship. Well, he goes on. He said, the warmth and joy depart. But then when that relationship experiences a new awakening... Do not, try, do not try to express it through the old forms. It will not work. The new is too powerful. We'll destroy those old forms um, that, that try to contain it. We have an example of this in many, of this in many way. Uh, um, many churches are coming alive these days. Now, he wrote this originally. This book was written in 1976. And there was a move of God taking place. Many, how many got saved during that period? Do we have any here? There was just a move of God that was taking place. I was saved in 75. And uh, 
And he wrote this book in 76, and he's referring to, you know, that move of God that kind of took place on the West Coast and just sort of moved across the country. And he says this here. He says, um, there's a fresh awakening of the Spirit. And what happens to those newly awakened churches? New forms of worship replace the old rituals. A new spirit of celebration replaces the old solemnity. New forms of music, uh, dramatic expressions sweep through the church. Hands that were once quietly folded in a solemn pose of piety are now raised joyfully and clapping loudly. New people, new faces, new ideas flood the church, transforming the congregation. He goes on to say, wine is the symbol of joy and celebration. Jesus was telling his listeners that if you pour the joy and celebration of a new living relationship with God into a container that is old and rigid and dried out and brittle, the old container will burst. It cannot contain the effervescence of the new relationship. Wineskins must be flexible to hold the new wine, and people in religious structures must be flexible in order to contain the exciting new relationship Jesus brings. They cannot be rigid and unyielding, God, the new wine of that relationship will be lost. As we close in prayer, I want to ask you this morning if perhaps maybe something we talked about, maybe you've lost your joy, maybe you feel kind of empty, kind of inflexible and find yourself maybe thinking in ways and sometimes even conversing in ways that when you first came to Christ, God changed that. And, you know, over the course of time, deterioration can set in. And if you need, in a fresh way, some of that new wine, God's Spirit, the life of Christ, poured into your heart, I want to pray for you in closing. And if you want that, I want you to stand because I want to pray for you specifically. You have to want it. You have to want him. (laughs) Father, we praise you. And we thank you, Lord. You're always calling us to higher ground. And I thank you for those here this morning. Lord, as your word has spoken into our hearts, into our lives, you know our needs. We can't hide anything from you, Lord. Lord, you see right into the very deepest part of our souls. So I pray for those, Father, each one of us, and I include myself, Lord. Father, I pray for that fresh outpouring of your spirit, Lord, in our lives. Father, cleanse away, I pray. Lord, just the old rigidity, Cleanse away the inflexibility. Lord, the dryness, the emptiness, Lord. Lord, we have once tasted, Lord, of your fullness and of your blessing. And Lord, we need that on an ongoing, ba- ongoing way, an ongoing basis. And so I pray, Father, that you'd energize in a fresh way our hearts, our lives, our relationship with you, our faith. Lord, if there's anything, I pray any issue, anything in our lives that needs to be surrendered, Lord, given to you, relinquished. Lord, help us to do that now by faith. 
realizing, Lord, we need you more. We need you more than any of the things so often that, that tend to become a substitute for what only you and you can provide. So I thank you for those that have stood. I thank you for those who maybe wanted to stand, but they just found they, they couldn't. Lord, just minister, I pray, to each and every heart, each and every life here. Go with us, Lord. Go with us, empower us. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified, Lord, in us, in your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.